Welcome to Connected, a podcast with Jess. That's me. Connections are the secret to a whole life. Recognizing the connections between us and within us, mind, body, and soul, reveals the fullest potential of our humanity. Join me as I discover what connects us to each other and to ourselves. Your mind, body, and soul were not meant to live disconnected from each other. Putting all the beautiful parts of you into one breathtakingly whole experience is what you deserve. As a life coach, I work to support your story. Together, we can set free the story of you. I bring guests onto my show so that you can hear powerful stories of other women all across the world. I want you to see how profoundly important living and telling stories is. I understand what it feels like to live under expectations and programming that are not aligned with who you are. I learned to write my own story in my year of Jess, and I want to guide you as you write the story of you. Your beauty, power, and value are already in there, in you. It's time to rise into it and uncage the limitless experience that is you. You've been held back for far too long. It's time, time to take your pen back and write the story of you. If this makes your heart leap even just a little bit, let's talk. You can find out more about working with me on my website at jessicatravis.com. I hope to hear from you soon. Today, I have one of my um, healers, as I've talked about in previous podcasts, and um, today I have Dr. Hillary McBride with me, and um, I'm going to let Hillary introduce herself and then um, talk about what the connection is, how I met her, um, and how she became one of my healers, and then we have some, I think, some really powerful things to talk about today that I um, am excited to give the world in terms of uh, more healing process for them personally. So, um, Hillary, who mm. are you? <laughs> well, first of all, it's just so good to be here with you. Um, who am I? I mean, I think it depends on the day how I answer that question. <laughs> I happen to be in my therapy office today as we're talking. So I definitely feel my, my therapist self at the foreground, but if you would have uh, if we would have done this interview last night, I would have been huddled over a puzzle and kind of listening to a podcast about something that I'm, you know, really interested in. So I think the, maybe a, a core feature in my life as I'm realizing <clears throat> is that I just, lo- I love to learn. I love to learn and I love people. And it seems that, oh gosh, everything that I do revolves around those two things, learning and helping other people learn, um, people, helping people love themselves, learn about themselves, learn about each other. Those are two orienting principles, I would say, or two pillars 
pillars in my life. Well, I definitely uh, saw that one-on-one with you mm. um, when we were in Africa, um, just a constant avid desire to learn, um, mm. I, you know, I, I, I hear it through your podcast, I hear it through um, the things that, uh, the interviews that you do, but um, but to see you just on a daily basis, just gravitate towards constantly learning your surroundings and learning mm. the people around you is... Um, yeah, definitely true mm. about you. Thanks, Jess. I'm glad so, that checks out. <laughs> I uh, I first got connected with you through the Liturgist podcast, and um and you had uh, some conversations happening um at that time around embodiment, which was a word that for me coming from the evangelical Christian faith was felt a bit um uh like a contradiction almost mm-hmm. as we, yeah. <laughs> as we work to uh, remove ourselves from the flesh a bit uh-huh. in our, um, in our faith and understanding of God. So this um, conversation of um, being in our bodies and connecting that to my faith was uh, definitely a new space for me. Um, but the really profound uh, moment uh, for me was at a liturgist gathering that we did in Seattle or that we went to in Seattle and you were there um, and uh, the conversation was around shame, which I think I had mentioned to you before that um, we almost didn't go when we found out yeah. what the <laughs> yeah. topic was because that is such a loaded word. I and, I, and I came to the table with one idea of what that was going to be and it was completely different. Mm. Um, it was actually a very freeing conversation. So... Um, and I think that's still a recorded episode um, in the Liturgist Library po- of podcasts, correct? It's true. Yeah, it's up there. Okay. So um, so from that, I landed on um, a post that you did around the new year. I think it was 2018-19, where uh, you were talking about going on this uh, retreat, an embodiment retreat with the Public Run Club, club with uh, Carly and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is the merging of two beautiful <laughs> worlds that I love. And um, and long story short, I signed up. And we ended up in Tanzania, we Africa did. for 10 days. Yeah. And um, so in that uh, 10 days, I'm jumping like a lot of timelines, a lot of stuff in between. But um, I came to that retreat with the expectation that I needed to engage in running and I needed to engage in my body differently because of my brain surgeries and um, how different my body worked, how different my face looked, how different um, of a relationship I was experiencing with my body. And um, so I came with that expectation and um, really got quite a different um, process. <laughs> I mean, it, it, init- it inevitably landed there, but, um, but I had no idea what was underneath mm-hmm. this ability to be more embodied with myself. This, mm-hmm. um, what was holding me back from that. It wasn't brain surgery. It wasn't my face looking different. Mm-hmm. It was far deeper than that. And that's the conversation I'm really excited to have with you today because that this, healing process that I felt like launched in Tanzania um, regarding um, a gaslighting relationship in my life um, 
I think was um, surprising to me that it existed, but also um, surprising as to what the healing process um, required. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the things that we did while we were there were um, were very centered around connecting back to ourselves. And in that, we had to we had to identify uh, critics. Mm-hmm. We had to identify voices that um, conversations we were having with ourself um, that were guiding how we um, engaged our body. Um, so I'm I'm wanting to have a conversation with you today around the relationship between um, what. Uh, healing or identifying a gaslighting relationship is to and why embodiment worked for me to uh to come through that mm-hmm. healing process okay. and it may begin with identif- or uh, defining what a gaslighting relationship or a gaslighting abuse might be mm. do you have a term that works for you do you have in having experienced it is there a way that you describe it that you find most helpful for you? I think for me, um, um, I, I've actually had a hard time I, uh, putting definition to it as it's more of a an experience of feeling crazy. Right, um, yes. And that there is a subtle over time stripping away mm-hmm. of my reality to exchange it for someone else's usually continually changing reality yeah. that that is imposed on me. Um, so that's mm-hmm. usually where I land. And mm-hmm. crazy is crazy is the word I used in the process um, to the point of almost checking myself into um, a mental institution because the crazy had gotten mm. I, I couldn't grasp reality yeah. anymore. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, the, the term gaslighting for people who aren't familiar actually comes from a movie by the same night. I think it's called The Gaslight or Gaslighted or something like that. And it comes from this the plot of the movie in which the partner continuously changes how much oil is being released into a light slowly, slowly, slowly. And his wife uh, questions him on it and he denies it until all of a sudden it's kind of, I think... It, it burns out or it's fully inflamed or something like that. But there is this sense of there is something that is happening. She recognizes it. Her reality is denied. She starts to doubt herself, but the thing is going on the entire time behind the scenes. So it's, it's a form of manipulation, um, psychological manipulation that often has us questioning if we feel sane or not. It has us questioning our reality. There is the sense that there is something that's incongruent between what we're, what we're feeling, what we're perceiving, and what's happening. And when we speak up about it, when we try to do something, our reality is denied. But usually by it's by a person who's in a position of power over us. And so we have to make this choice of, do I trust myself? But you know, at the expense of this relationship or this job or this marriage or whatever it is, or do I silence that knowing because this person in power who I'm supposed to be able to trust, who is supposed to be on, you know, working on my behalf is, is telling me that I'm wrong. And over time, it erodes our ability to sense what's true, to be connected to our own reality, to be able to articulate what we need and feel 
um, like we can stand behind that. Like if I'm thinking about the wearing down mm-hmm. of our, our trust in our perception and our trust in ourselves and how that is so erosive to our ability to be healthy in relationships and to move through the world and make choices, to feel safe, to feel at ease, to connect with people, to believe even that we, you know, we sit, the things that we said happened actually happened. So it can be quite profound and transcend outside of that relationship within which it's happening with, yeah, in which the gaslighting is happening. And the term really has gained popularity in the last number of years. I, I didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say maybe it's been six or seven years since I heard it for the first time. And now it seems like something that we have a little bit more familiarity with. People will reference it more frequently and perhaps in situations where there is a normative misunderstanding or there's two people who thought Mm-hmm. differently about it. But when we look at what it actually is as a psychological phenomena, it's this, it's the, this manipulation to have a person doubt or mistrust themselves over time. One of the things my husband and I have talked about on our other podcast is um, the, at least here, I know you're from Canada mm-hmm. and I'm not sure because I haven't spent time there, but how different um, our social contexts are. Right. Um, right. And we, we've kind of, especially in our, our last election, our last political, um, you know, just where America stands right now, we have, um, we are identifying and experiencing more and more like social, um, broad social gaslighting, um, on a, on a political arena, but also, um, just seeing more and more of that manipulation to alter what truth is. Mm. And um, as Americans finding a very difficult time grasping what actually is true, what am I supposed yeah. to listen to? Yeah. And um, one of one of the things that I found <laughs> there was there was this moment when we were in um, I remember it was in the tents. We were sitting around having conversation, and we were um, we were pulling um, cards. And one of the cards I put was to trust the nickel, mm-hmm. to trust the knowing. And I remember just sitting there going, ugh, <laughs> why, did, why did I, why did I get this <laughs> card? I, I think I was wanting something far more, you know, magical oh, or just, right. I don't know. Right. And everybody pulled theirs and it just seemed very appropriate for mm. who they were and what they were going through. And I just sat there and you looked at me and you said, why are you having a hard time with this? Mm. What it, What is it about that card that's got you? And and I think it came back to this, that you said not being able to trust that knowing mm-hmm. in ourselves. So why why was working through this embodiment and connecting back to myself so important for me to work out of a relationship that is so toxic? Yeah. It, to be able to explain that with any degree of let's say accuracy, we need to back up a little bit and think about how we exist in a world that has so fragmented us from our bodies and even made us believe that we are just our minds. I mean, some of us have heard this phrase uttered, like, I think, therefore I am. And we come from this long lineage of often European ancestry Um, white men in positions of power and thinkers 
who themselves are doing very beautiful, important work, but from their lived reality, from their perspective, which got to be outside of the body in a way. There was this group of people who who had the privilege of getting outside of the lived reality of being a body, who didn't have to be doing manual labor, who didn't have to be tending to children, who didn't have to be um, caring for the earth in a certain way because they were part of the elite class. And their philosophy impacted our social framework. It impacted the daily discourse that we use to understand what it means to be human. And so there is this, this separation of mind and self, this mind and body that seems somehow um, normative for us. In fact, it's actually quite revolutionary for many of us, particularly those of us who uh, exist within dominant culture or have white bodies or able bodies or have a certain degree of access to uh, financial privilege. We can we can be quite shocked to realize that we are bodies, <laughs> and so being a body and remembering that we are a body as a self is a really important place to start when we're thinking about how do we trust ourselves again? Because the gaslighting relationship was not the first time that we were made to mistrust ourselves. Our cultural framework was often the first context in which we were asked to leave our body to be a part of a social framework and belonging. And we cannot, um, we can't be connected to our wisdom if we're not connected to our body. I think a lot of us, particularly those of us who grew up in an evangelical tradition or faith context, where we were told that the body is bad, you can't mistrust it, we thought, we learned to believe that our mind was somehow connected closer to the spirit, that our mind was the discerning element, that it was the mind that was safe and uh, judicious and could tell the truth. And yet we're missing, one, what people who haven't had to be disconnected from their bodies have known, particularly indigenous traditions and communities of color and people who experience and live with disability and in queer bodies, knows that the body tells the truth about our society. The body tells the truth about our reactions, about our relationships. And that often comes in subtle shifts in our gut. We call that interoceptive knowing. It's that sense of something on the inside when your guts turn or you feel your heart rate quicken, you go, oh, there's something that feels unsafe here or mm -mm, that feels wrong. And I can notice that activation in my throat, that our body is the place where our wisdom is. And our body is also the place where our courage is to confront the discrepancies or to stand up in situations of injustice or the place that gives us the energy to leave. Now, ideally what we want is to be integrated, which is that we can be our body and use our mind to sort and sift and work through and piece it all together. But it's really hard to be a whole person, to be a healthy person when we are disconnected from 99% of our, you know, our real estate as a human, which is everything kind of under our brain tissue. I think that it's really important to look not just at the gaslighting relationship and how embodiment helps with that, but how gaslighting sits in a society that is all about perception and thinking being the most important. And when we are going to be whole people, we need to start reconnecting from the ground up, from the body up. And that helps us with all of these fragmentations and helps us with all of this mistrust. Mm -hmm.
So I know you to be a, a, a researcher mm-hmm. at heart, just continually learning, like you had, had said in the beginning. How do you bring those two things together? Someone who could probably live in your head quite a bit and come into the space of um, staying connected and not disfragmenting or not fragmenting yourself. How do you bring those two uh, experiences together? Yeah, it's definitely a practice for me because I have, I've my training, my tradition is to live in the mind. In fact, there is something about mm-hmm. being an academic, uh, being a scholar, which prizes you on not needing rest or you don't have to get up and do all these things to take care and tend to the needs of the body. So I have worked very, very hard to stay connected to myself through my work. I notice, and actually maybe a good analogy to think about this with is I think about being in relationship with ourselves. Like I think about any relationship with anybody. So let's just use my relationship with my partner. We you know, say goodbye at the beginning of the day. And often we'll, we'll be in touch throughout the day, texting, calling, just checking in how things are going. And then we reunite at the end of the day. And there isn't the sense that I am, you know, betraying him by being my own person or by mm-hmm. leaning into one area of my selfness. But there is also the sense of us being able to reconnect in these moments and realizing that's what feels best. That's what feels best. So I think about that kind of relationship with my body too, that when we are embodied, particularly for myself, it doesn't have to be this perfect attunement all the time. I don't think that perfectionism is actually a way forward towards wholeness or healing, but rather noticing when we are disconnected from ourselves, noting that, noticing what made us disconnected, if that was a choice, if that was involuntary, and then how we get reconnected again. So I'm constantly paying attention to okay, what's happening in my body? Oh yeah, I'm noticing feeling like I've got, I need to get some movement tonight, but I can't do that till the end of my workday. Okay, so I'm going to log that and I'm just going to kind of note that sensation. And then when I get home, I'm going to be in movement or paying attention between appointments, particularly when I'm seeing clients in my office, I'm so attentive to what's happening in their body that I have to keep asking myself, okay, what's happening in my body? So I'm asking Mm -hmm. that question. I'm remembering to ask that question And then sometimes between appointments, I'll stretch, I'll move, um, I'll hold myself if that feels good, just to give myself some touch. And these are all little ways that I've learned to come back to myself. But the, I think the heart of it is, can I notice what's happening? Can I notice if I'm disconnected? Can I notice why I'm disconnected? And can I make a plan to come back to myself soon? Hmm. And that, uh, that sounds very uncomfortable yeah. to me. Yeah, to me, yeah. like like it's um, because uh, being in my head is mm. uh, far safer yeah. than um, than that attunement. But I have to say that in that uh, coming out of that ten days that we spent mm. in Tanzania, it was a it was a time that you and Carly offered for us to. Um, to touch and feel mm. and to connect back to ourselves um, in a space, in an atmosphere that was brilliant and wild and wonderful. And, you know, all of these things that we were visually seeing and touching and feeling. And um, 
and allowing ourselves to to exist in that space in that moment mm-hmm. um, that now becomes a practice for me moving forward where like you said when you start to feel the body yeah. is changing the body is talking to me and I it's okay for mm-hmm. me to listen mm-hmm. um, and and that was something that for me in this um, working out of this um, toxic um, work relationship that I had um, where I kept denying what it was that I was feeling. Mm. I kept denying that um, those feelings that surge up, like you're talking about that, just that in my gut, something is not right here. No, wait, I do remember that conversation. It Mm, did happen. Right, right. Um, but being able to walk away and find my way back to trusting myself again, to trust that those things actually meant mm. something and that I was to yes. listen to them. Yeah. That's a hard process. It is. That's- <laughs> and I just need to take a moment here to say, you've done such hard work to get back to where you are. You've worked so hard for this. And it's so important that that is recognized and celebrated by me, by you, by anyone who hears that, because it is not easy to return to ourselves when we have been invited to leave over and over and over again. And if we are not celebrating that constantly, that does not is that does not feel like this victory that we get to have in our minds over and over and over again. Then we're missing we're missing some of the best parts of what it means to heal. That it feels good. Mm. That it gets to feel good, and then we get to be celebrated for that hard work. So I wanted to take a moment for you here Mm, just to name that. Yeah, you're welcome. When you, um, some of the, some of the conversations that we had, I remember particularly we were sitting in, it was the second location Mm. that we were at Mm -hmm. and we had, um, uh, zebras making noise behind <laughs> us, so interrupting our conversations. Yeah, yeah it was just—I I mean, just this all the sound and all the feel of where we were. But I remember there was a there was a conversation we were having about that um, that inner critic mm-hmm. um, and how important it was for us in that moment to identify that as being a different voice, right? A, a different. Um, maybe from the knowing, and I know you have better words for this than I do, but um, but that they were not necessarily the same. Right. And so sometimes for me, looking at listening to myself, I was listening to the critic mm-hmm. that was within myself and not the voice mm-hmm. I needed to be listening to. So can you talk on that a little mm-hmm. bit, on the difference between that and why that's important in separating um, the two as well? Yeah, it's... A- it can be helpful for us to, to categorize, label, and sort these voices so we know which ones to trust. Because we are a product of our relational context, as much as we like to think of ourselves as individuals, we are a result of the re- ex- relational experiences that we've had around us. And when someone has been important and their voice has been in our head lots, it's very easy for that to sound like our own voice, but for us to have picked that up from somewhere else. And so it can get confusing. What's what's my voice? Who do I trust? What's actually the result of being with someone else who's been hurtful or abusive to me? Whenever we start teasing them out, then we can figure out, okay, 
that voice is still there, but I don't have to give it the same weight. I don't have to give it the same value in terms of shaping my decision-making and what I, what I believe about myself. So good question to ask when, when we are encountering a voice is how does it make me feel when I listen to it? Right? What's the impact of listening to this voice? And we can even listen for tonal differences or the word frequency. Sometimes there'll be a voice where it's almost like if we personify it. And again, this is not, we're not talking about actually audibly hearing voices and hallucinations and auditory hallucination. We're talking about the quality of our thoughts and kind of the tone associated with them. Mm-hmm. So if we're listening to a thought stream and it has a particular tone and word choice to it, like, oh, you're so stupid. We can Mm. start to isolate that pattern. Well, what are some of the other thoughts that I have that feel like that or that make me feel like that? And where, one, what, what does it make me feel when they come up? What happens to me? What's the impact of it on me? Do I become a better version of myself? Do I shrink away? Do I hate myself? So we can start looking at where it came from, what the impact is it is it has on us, but then start distinguishing these other voices. Well, what what are some of the other things that I I say to myself that sit outside of the critic? And this the really unique thing about our own voice, what we've talked we've talked about today is being referred to as the knowing in a way. That has a particular feature that tends to show up in the same ways regardless of the person. And this seems to be the voice of the self. There are many scholars who've spoken and written extensively on this. One of them is Richard Schwartz. But the self tends to have a few key qualities that distinguish it from everything else. It sounds, feels, and produces calm, confidence, clear, connection, uh, coherence, compassion, collaboration. There may even be one more in there. That there is this really distinct life force to what our self voice sounds like. And so whenever we hear something and it makes us feel like, wow, I can do this. And it's not at the expense of somebody else. It's not mm. um, to diminish anyone else or to to make me feel shame. Maybe that's what my voice sounds like if it has some of those qualities or it makes me feel that way when it shows up. And then, then what's really fun about this, and I remember this about the specific piece of work that you and I did when we were in Tanzania, Jess, is that we can start pushing back on some of the other voices by recruiting what our self sounds like. <laughs> so we hear the critic okay, that's, that's, you know, everybody's probably got a critic loitering somewhere rent-free in their brain. But most of us also have a self, if we go looking for it, that we want to say something back to the critic. And if we can't figure mm. out what our self voice sounds like, we probably know somebody else who has a voice that we wish that we could embody, right? And that's, I know, yeah. something you're familiar with. And so in the same yeah. way that we can use other people's voices to develop a critic on the inside, we can use other people's voices to help us get back to what our own voice sounds like if it helps us be calm confident clear connected collaborative compassionate coherent all of those pieces so then when the critic comes up we can go okay well what do i want to say back 
And how can I resist? Mm. And what does myself say in response to the critic? So instead of the critic getting the last word, who we are gets the last word. And really that takes the pressure off us feeling like the critic has to go away just for us to be good. We can realize that the critic is something we've learned to do to survive in those hurtful and harmful relationships. And that it is just doing the best on the inside of us too, but it doesn't get the final word and doesn't get to tell the truth about us. Hmm. Yes, I do remember that being incredibly powerful because I felt like it needed to be an either or, but it was more about understanding the relationship that it had, that existed in learning how to have a a relationship that, uh, gave me more voice than the critic had. So, yeah. Um, you're working on, um, you, your, your first book, Mm. I say first book, because your next one's coming out soon, isn't it? Um, your first book, um, is one that, in fact, I was looking for my copy and realized I gave it away again, Um, (laughs) but it's, uh, uh, mother's daughters and body image. Mm. And it's, um, a beautiful book that I wish I had had when raising my daughters. Um, I, I get to have it now as I have a relationship with them as adults, mm-hmm. but, um, but this is why I don't have my, I have my chewed up copy that my dog decided ah, I was spending right. too much time, um, <laughs> in it. And I think it's a beautiful, um, work towards how we interact with, um, each other generationally, but also with ourselves and the stories as, as each one of those roles, moms, daughters, we're um, interacting with each other. Um, but I'm also excited about what you are um, releasing oh, next. Yes. Because it was all in your head while we were yeah. in Tanzania. This I was, was actually, all being worked out. That's right. I yeah. was starting the manuscript at that point, And I remember feeling like there was a lot of energy whenever I'm writing a book or working on a big project like that. I often it's in my head so much more coherently than it is on the page or long before it's ever on the page. And so we were really kind of living out some of this stuff. So the book is called, this is my body. And originally it was supposed to be out in a few months. I'm so sad about that. It was supposed to be out February 9th in 2021, but because of COVID and just kind of a bunch of things that have changed in the world, Mm -hmm. it's going to be out at the end of the end of 2021 instead. So hopefully Um, This time next year, we'll all have copies in our hands. But the book is, it's really how how to become embodied, why we're disembodied, what makes it hard to be in our body, how we get back into our body, why that matters, uh, what the benefits are. And most of the time, I think I should clarify this, when when I talk about embodiment and say, this is my body and I am my body and things like that, people freak out because we're so used to thinking about our bodies as our appearance. We're so used to thinking about our bodies as mm-hmm. how we look. Mm-hmm. And yet it's actually just like this tiniest little part about what it means to be a body. Yeah. And in fact, not even the most important, most rich, most meaningful part of being a body. So I want to invite us to, yeah, to remember just even with with that phrase there that we, we are our bodies and that extends so much deeper than our appearance. And my hope is that our, the book will be an invitation to remember that and to help, help us get connected to ourselves. Some of those things that we mentioned earlier about how do we reconnect and why that's hard. I mean, as soon as I said, 
okay, these are the things that I'm doing to check in with myself and be connected to my body. You said, Ooh, right. Like that, I find that really hard. And mm-hmm. I think that's the reaction for most of us that it's uncomfortable. It takes work and it, we have to be shown that we can do it in a way that feels safe and inviting and generative for us. So the book is full of practices. It's not just ideas. Mm-hmm. It's here are all the things that you can do and it's evidence-based. So looking at things from the research community to tell us, yeah, to tell us what it means to be a body and how to get back into it. So I feel really good about that. There's lots in there about pain, trauma, body image, um, about sexuality, spirituality in the body. So really covering this power and oppression, what it means to be marginalized in the body. Yeah. The whole, the whole gamut. And, and that brings up another thought that uh, was surprising to me in this work of, of healing self, and that is that you don't always get to pick and choose that I only want to heal this part of me. Oh, wow. Oh, that's and so well said. If, mm-hmm. And if I um, want, for me, coming into wanting to heal my physical body, wow, I had to tap in to what it meant to heal my emotional, yes. my relational, now my spiritual, yeah. like how all of these things um, integrate with each other. And um, the ability as a human being, I was amazed at in, after much of this healing. And I, I look at life as a process of healing continually, but mm-hmm. but in this concentrated time that I took to do this, um, I was amazed at how easily I could place my spiritual life on one shelf, right. my physical life on another, my relationships on a completely other, and have this mental conversation that really contradicted all of them. Right. Like it, it was, <clears throat> I, I was amazed at how fragmented I could mm-hmm. actually become. So in in coming back to this whole existence of self, meant I had to tap into all right, of those. Right. <laughs> That's big work. Yeah. Big yeah. Work. Um, so I'm excited uh, that, um, not that I'm surprised that it would come from you, but I'm su- I'm excited to see a book that is going to um, talk about all of mm. those um, and bring them all um, together. Um, that is not a conversation that I experienced in – Um, my life growing up or that I shared with my daughters or that I acknowledged was, you know, that's, that's a, that thing I'm feeling in my body is a result of something spiritual or that it's a result of a practice that I have going. Why do I have that Mm. practice going? Does it work for me anymore? You know, those kinds of things. Mm. So, um, I can't wait to read it. Oh, thank you. Can't wait to get it in your hands. So what else are you working on um, now? I mean, I know I see you in interviews um, all over the place. Yeah. Um, you do have a beautiful podcast that I absolutely love listening mm-hmm. to um, and uh, called Other People's Problems. Mm-hmm. And um, But what else, what all are you working on? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that feels really exciting right now is I've got a few research papers on the go. I know that's kind of like my nerd, my nerd self coming out, but I'm working and heading up this project about people who've experienced growth or transformation during COVID. And it's been an exhilarating project to work on. The results will be published 
soon. Um, first, likely in an academic, a couple of academic journals before they make it make their way to the mainstream. But one of the things that is really important for us to name is when when we are in the midst of suffering, how do we grow? What allows that to happen? How do we experience it? Do we choose it? Does it happen to us? So the research project is us looking at, yeah, growth in the midst of this pandemic and uh, from this wide, wide, wide sample of people who have very different life experiences and socioeconomic statuses and uh, racial identities. So that feels really energizing. And I, I love to have those conversations about how do we do well when things are hard, not to diminish the suffering, not to silence the truth telling about the pain that people are in, but to also ask us to say, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, how do we endure? How do we move forward? What allows that to happen? So I'm very excited about that. Um, yeah, this book will be coming out at the end of 2021. I feel really great about that, working on season four of Other People's Problems. And yeah, there's just a bunch of other like kind of little things that I've got on the go, some writing and some more interviews coming up. And mm -hmm. yeah, my life is... My life is full of a, a million little things. So all my clients and I teach at the university here. And so I've got just this variety of things that keep me interested. And some of the work is public and some of it is not. But yeah, hopefully we'll get the research results out to people soon-ish. And that can be fodder for some conversation around what it means to grow in mm -hmm. hard times. And you, you and Lisa Gunger are still doing um, Sacred Feminine in a reinvented way as well. That's right. Yeah, and we have um, a new date added. So January, end of January, I think it might be the 22nd or something like that. But more, more spots available. Our retreats previously have been in person, first in Ojai, and then we added a few more. There was one we did just outside of Vancouver and one in Austin, Texas. And my hope is that we can all be together in person again soon. But in the meantime, meeting together online to do movement work, to do, again, this stuff that you and I are talking about, Jess, where we learn to reconnect with our bodily selves mm -hmm. and not in isolation, but in a community, in, in a group of people who are also wanting to do the same. So yeah, we've got that coming up and that feels really exciting. Well, and I think I, to touch on that a little bit too, you one of the, my biggest fears in going to Tanzania was doing a retreat with women. Mm -hmm. Um, because in my experience with even the evangelical church, uh, growing up, this is such a loaded environment. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the comparisons and the holiness factors and oh, you yeah. know, all of the things yeah. that, that get brought to the table with women's retreats. And, um, and I remember, Remember thinking, um, I I knew I knew I I wanted this enough um, mm. to be there, but I was very nervous about <laughs> what that would look like, the dynamics of um, being yeah. in a retreat with women, and it was honestly one of the most um, teachable moments for me mm. was to see um, strong, beautiful, powerful, vulnerable, um, open women um, from we were all so different from each other. And yet um, could come together and have such a beautiful experience mm -hmm. together. I imagine that that is simple, similar to um, mm -hmm. what you and Lisa have created. Um, but uh, just really learning to embrace um, the community, like you said, around yeah. um, healing and around embodiment. Yeah. Um, 
not something that I had experienced most of my life. So the fact that you guys are missionally involved in seeing that Mm. happen is, it's beautiful. Mm. It's it's a new kind of space for someone like me. Um, I'm glad you took that risk then. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It was, uh, we saw some amazing things Mm. and, um, and I wouldn't know the women that I do without Mm. that experience. So, but, um, Mm -hmm. I would love to just sit and reminisce the trip with you, um, because it, um, it was was a beautiful trip. Um, but I, I am truly grateful Mm. for the work that you did, um, known and unknown in Mm. my life to heal. And one of my goals this year in, um, not knowing what 2020 would look like, (laughs) um, was to take the healing that I had experienced in that year of Jess in that 2019 and find space, um, to share it and to, um, uh, be a bit vulnerable Mm -hmm. about, uh, what that looked like Mm -hmm. to heal and hopefully give, um, someone else permission Mm -hmm. to take the time, to take the space, to take the financial risk, to take the, all those things we don't often give ourselves as women to choose to heal, to choose to, um, do good to ourselves and for ourselves. So, um, I am incredibly grateful for, um, there was a lot leading up, but specifically for that 10 days Mm -hmm. that we had in Tanzania to, um, the patience that I know that you (laughs) had with me on, on the, uh, uh, battling my critic during that time. Mm -hmm. And, but also just, uh, the love and the support and the different worldview and the different self view that you, uh, introduced to me mm. and um it's it's a game changer i can't look at life the same way now mm-hmm. and um and so for that i'm incredibly mm. grateful um wow. and i feel like i get to take a piece of hillary with me oh, everywhere i'm so glad I go to be and, with you <laughs> everywhere you go then <laughs> <laughs> so um so again just thank you for being one of um my healers and mm. um uh And I look forward to continuing um, learning from you and growing from you. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. Thank you you for listening. And may you keep connecting all the beautiful parts of you.